0: We are interrupting today's programming for special coverage from NPR.
1: The Associated Press has called the election for Joe Biden. We now join NPR for special coverage.
0: Garrett McQueen I'm Scott Blankenship and this is your clue you ready Scott? yes the the podcast that's dismantling classical music stereotypes and status quos
1: what is Triloquy?
0: Oh, very good, very good. You mean rest so-called in... classical music. Right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there you go, correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, rest in peace uh, to the late Alex Trebek. We're going to talk about him um, a little bit today. I-, I know that news was, you know, a bit of something that hit a little bit of everybody, huh, Scott? I know everybody
1: watched Jeopardy has some relationship with that game show. Yeah, and he was really open about it, so it wasn't like it was unexpected. And man, did he go right up to the end, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, again, we'll be getting into that a little later today. Um, your downbeat today comes from um, a young woman down at WUOT FM, the weekend host. Her name is Clara. Princeton. A huge shout out to Clara. Um, Scott, that's how I got the news of Biden winning the election. I uh, got on Instagram, and Clara had uh, posted a video of herself in the studio potting down the classical music to make the announcement and switch it over to the Associated Press or whatever for a bit. So yeah, that's how I found out, Uh, public radio via via Instagram.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I happened to be sitting in front of the TV when it all went down.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, well... Well, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, Support for this opus of Triloquy comes from the Gateways Music Festival uh, with their virtual chamber music festival happening this week, November 9th through 12th. So you can get more information about that at gatewaysmusicfestival.org. I'm going to be talking a little bit about Gateways Radio uh, that I did for uh, the virtual festival and a little bit of the music that um, is sort of uh, re-relit in my spirit. So that's coming. Uh, I also want to shout out... uh, once again, Derek mentioned uh, with his new album, "The Incredible." You can find that wherever you buy your digital music. And I also want to uh, give a shout out to Frank Swan, the um, owner and operator of Capital Cane. Scott, have you ever? So you know, with uh, double reeds, we have cane. Yeah. You know, and we—that's how we make our reeds. I'm shaping so this it. is so this is a black-owned cane company, um, and we had a really great uh, conversation uh, last week on the phone. So, yeah, I told uh, Frank that I would give uh, Capital Cane a shout-out so you can uh, find uh, information about how you can order your cane from a black-owned business. If you're a oboe player out there looking for something uh, gouged and maybe profiled, I'll, <laughs> I'll put that on the um, uh, in the description of this. Uh, today's guest um, is a member, so, you know, with the Gateways uh, Virtual Festival, of all happening Scott I'm thinking about you know the convenings of of the people love of the black classical musicians you got a little bit of that at Sphinx this past year but Mm -hmm. So thinking of that, um, I thought that it would be really great to introduce the audience to David Cain's Burnett. So, you know, he keeps records in more ways than one, Um, you know, uh, really, uh, really a mainstay in all of those convenings. So I'll uh, be telling you a little bit more about him later on. Um, And then, you know, we have election talk and um, other talk and the Triloquy. So, yeah, well, let's uh, let's just get into it. So, Scott, I thought that we could start on a high note and talk about the states that uh, legalized drugs last week. Let's do did it. High, high note.
1: You said <laughs> that you were going to smoke one for each of them. Did you make that goal? Uh,
0: I did, yes. Um, I'm, a, I'm a man of my word. It was, But it was five to my count. So, you know, five oh. joints. We can do that.
1: Okay. No. All right. So what was, <laughs> who was the fifth then? We had Arizona, South Dakota, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Montana for recreational, um, and Mississippi for medical. Mississippi, goddamn.
1: Man, <laughs> Th- that's that's a state that could really benefit from a cash crop like hemp and and canvas well, itself, man.
0: Down at. Um, uh, Old Miss, I, I forget if that's the University of Mississippi, but the school that they call Old Miss for years now, they've had fields of cannabis uh, for research purposes. Right. But you know, you can't, you know, and they would guard that, you know, very well. Oh, trust me, they would. did. <laughs> but yeah, with uh, with all that field down there in Mississippi, and you know, it has the history of agriculture, violent agriculture. But may, maybe an equitable way to uh, turn that state around, you know, what w- 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 would be to, you know, give. Black folks an in on this new industry if it's really gonna take hold. You know, uh, our ancestors were picking the cotton, so it's time for us to sit in the house and let the white people pick the flower.
1: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we
0: watching. Don't put none in your pocket either. Uh, oh. Her,
1: I just think white people with dreadlocks dreadlocks should be out of the running from the beginning. That's my
0: only caveat. I meant to welcome the new listeners if this is your first time listening to the triloquy podcast look uh what what did um uh, uh, KJ Brooks say last week I'm not respectable I'm not here to be respectable and so it's it's that so well, welcome to the new listeners and <laughs> thank you to the return of listeners anyway could could that not be a thing Scott for real I'm kind of joking but yeah an equitable way to to introduce you know the economy of medical marijuana in Mississippi just You know, let the
1: black folks in on it. You don't have to look very hard to find out who would be best poised to benefit from this if it went through. And it's your Philip Morris, you know, all these uh, tobacco companies that are already outfitted to do it. But just changing the tobacco leaf to the weed flower. Exactly. And so that is what I'm concerned about. And yes, it's great that more states are going legal with recreational. I think it's fantastic. But let's have the conversation when they stop having you pee in a cup for a job. Let's talk then, and we can have the real conversation. And
0: that's really what needs to... Happened more as the decriminalization, open right. up the jails and let everybody out. Um, but you make a good point, too, with a, with big tobacco and big companies taking over the cannabis industry. But in the legal states, you know, even in Colorado, who's been legal for a while and forever, it seems now, you do you see big companies. I mean, there are chains that are dispensaries and I'm sure there's big money in it, but it seems like still a a small man's game because it's, you can't put the federal money into it, right? That, mm-hmm. that was uh, my understanding. Yeah,
1: they and they can't have they can't even have a bank account through their right, business. But, I mean, that's crazy. Because it's federally um illegal. illegal.
0: You know, so the 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 money won't be able to Man, you know, that's
1: just dumb. Just think of the 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 ways that they have to contort to do business. Even in a legal state, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe something's well, on the horizon.
0: And um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, a couple little municipalities went even further. So meth is back in Oregon. <laughs> and what all the drugs? <laughs> so in Oregon, did they, it seemed it looked like they decriminalized small possession of all drugs. Oh, you didn't okay, see okay. that?
1: No, I didn't see that. And I and I know that uh, didn't they go with so, mushrooms? So you know, get too? your coke, get your
0: yeah, and, and Washington D.C. Uh, decriminalize uh, magic mushrooms, as I read uh, in an article. But yeah, Oregon, just go get get all your drugs over there.
1: What do you think about that? Now, I don't. They're not legalizing it. They just decriminalize the small amounts, right? Right, right. So it's not it's not criminal
0: to walk down the street with a, a little crack. Right, but they're not. <laughs> they're not saying come here and get your crack. We got your crack but if but if you're but if you want a little bit of it, it seems like you, you should go to Oregon that's the safest place, right? <laughs> I think you're interpreting I think you're interpreting this well let's well let's find let's let's find it then okay let's, let's find it okay, this is coming from the New York Times, the failing New York Times as you know, the orange monster likes to say uh, Oregon decriminalizes small amounts of heroin and cocaine um. And then it says uh, four states legalize marijuana. Let me see if I can't scroll down here to Oregon. The Oregon measure makes possession of small amounts of what have long been considered harder drugs a violation, similar to traffic ticket and no longer punishable by jail time. The law also funds drug addiction treatment from marijuana sales tax. So that's good. You know, mm-hmm. so, and, and I'll, I'll post the rest of that article um, up there. So, yeah. So just a little a little crack is OK, Scott.
1: It's okay to have. They're not saying <laughs> come up
0: and smoke crack that you can buy at the store from a vending machine. I hope I'm not triggering anyone, but it it, it does tickle me. But reading about the um uh, the addiction services coming out of the marijuana sales tax, that's good, right? That's I, thing. I agree. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um. Yeah. Go get your crack in Oregon. Um. If you live in New Jersey, <laughs> Arizona, uh, South Dakota. And Montana, congratulations, Mississippi. As I said, Mississippi, goddamn, I didn't expect that, but okay. So y'all can uh, fix your cataracts as well. Uh, you were Scott, uh, as a I was asking about a, a piece of music that we might be able to uh, transition out of here, and you mentioned one by Will Gregory called Orbit. So is this just a high piece of music? Talk to me about it. Well, this
1: is a guy that you know, like a lot of classically trained rock musicians he's been doing some transitioning here in his career and playing other styles mm-hmm. uh if you know the band goldfrap uh, no, I band, don't, uh they had a they had a single out called strict machine so he played keys in that and he also toured with uh tears for fears peter gabriel bands like that so he's uh also done some composition and one that I stumbled across recently is called Orbit so let's go there
0: <laughs> Into orbit. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. All right, cool. Higher Talibou than Gregor. a whale. Higher than a whale. Yeah, <laughs> that's how, Yeah, you 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 do like that phrase. Um, so yeah, so a, a nice sharp over all of the. um you know, earth earth plants that are now legal that shouldn't have been illegal in the first place. Um, on to, I'm going to give uh, this a natural, just talking about the, the presidential um, results. So as I said, uh, I got up on Saturday morning and uh, was scrolling my Instagram and uh, Clara Princeton uh, posted her announcement uh, from her air shift, um, you know, uh, on Saturday. Uh, so I immediately turned on Fox News. I, I was like, <laughs> oh, so <laughs> what are they saying over there? And, you know, they were announcing that they had called it and um I, I don't know if people you know are versed in fox news but um in my experience with it the weekend news is a little less angry a little less you know pep rallyish, and more just you know what's going on so mm-hmm. um we'll, we'll we'll see what the vitriol looks like um as the week uh, comes over there on that channel but anyway um i, I was just i was Turning on uh, Fox and CNN and all the news stations, and it went to different shots of different places around the country. Folks dancing in the street, literally. literally. Um, <laughs> that was, you know, what was funny to me. Like I said, I was watching Fox News, and the reporter is like, "Dana, people are dancing in the streets, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and people are, are are happy." How did how did you find out?
1: I was sitting there in front of it, uh, in front of the TV. Oh, you when, were sitting in it, front. You just happened to be
0: watching the news. Oh, okay.
1: So and there was some clanging pots and a couple screams and honks in the neighborhood. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, yeah. But uh my buddy John texted and he said that people were, you know, gathered in the intersection out in front of his place. So um and shout out to Fox News in this instance. I do have to give Fox News their props because their election desk is rock solid. So when they called Arizona early on I mm-hmm. was like oh snap when Fox does it I mean they've got a lot of confidence you know so um I kind of hung my hat on his win from that call early on and then just sort of held my For breath them to be saying it yeah. yeah and um I had no idea that he would take Pennsylvania and and it looks like Georgia you know
0: Yeah, which is really huge, you know, because that just seems like an automatic red state. But for that to flip, wow, you know, with everybody down in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a change there. Um, I tweeted, you know, before the results came out that I felt like I was waiting to get punched in the face or punched in the gut. You know, (laughs) the one that hurts less and shows more or the one that shows less or and hurts more. Mm -hmm. Um, And. While that feeling is still there, I'll I'll get into this a little bit in the triloquy, but, uh, you know, while that feeling is still there, because as we said, we ordered Bernie and AOC, that's who we ordered, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but there was just a lot of unity that I felt. Um, specifically in the excitement surrounding Kamala Harris. And, you know, we could talk about what the what does the vice president actually do? What is what does it mean to be president of the Senate? Blah, blah, blah. My turnaround point of going, well, you know, I want actually someone who's going to, you know, shake things all the way up and not a former prosecutor X, Y and Z. You know, some of those uh, feelings went away from me, not went away, but just were put into context when I was scrolling social media and I was seeing. In the um, pastiches, how do you call that? Like the collages mm-hmm. of all of the vice presidents, and then Kamala. You know that is something to see. You know all of these old gray-haired white men, and we have a, a black woman, a woman of color, up there, second in command of the world. It's it's exciting.
1: First off, shout out to all of the black women, the Latin women, the indigenous women, the women uh, overall that really brought this election home. They're yeah. the ones that did it. Um, and I, I remember thinking when he chose Kamala, I thought, why didn't he go with Stacey Abrams? And now I'm glad that he didn't, because maybe Georgia wouldn't have flipped if she hadn't been down there work. I, I, I don't know. It probably would have. She, she was still at work, Stacey Abrams. But still,
0: Abrams. you know, yeah, shout out to Stacey
1: Abrams. And for- to uh, James Clyburn, because if you remember in the primaries, Bernie was on a roll, and he had racked up a couple states. And then as soon as Clyburn endorsed Biden... That was the only domino that he needed. It was It was done then.
0: Now, we haven't seen the end of it yet, have we? No. <laughs> no. So, uh, you know, the, the Trump administration is suing the state, or, or I don't know if suing is the right word, but throwing charges, lawsuits mm-hmm. um, at these different things. And that is what it is. But uh, one thing I wanted to explore with you for a second, Scott. So what if, now, and this is 2020. We, we, we cannot, you know, deny any possibility with what we've seen this year. So what if somehow with these slippery lawsuits, with whatever folks in power are able to do, this flips back around and Biden and Kamala Harris don't take the White House in January? What do you think will
1: happen then? That is when all of the businesses who took the time to board up, Are probably going to be very grateful they did. (laughs) I mean, is that it's but but it's a possibility, right? Is that or is it or is it a possibility? Uh,
0: Why wouldn't it be? Mm, Yeah, because again, 2020, they've already danced in the streets, it's over. (laughs) Yeah, the party has already happened.
1: I would like to point out though, he's like 0 and 6 so far as far as his lawsuits are concerned. Oh right, right! The judges right. are the judges are turning them away pretty quickly. Even Bill Barr has been sent in to investigate credible instances of mass corruption or fraud or whatever it is. So be careful how you read those headlines. A lot of times you'll read the headline that says he's investigating uh, mass fraud or it, well, no, he he's investigating to see if any of those reach that level. <laughs> Which we we don't know yet. So you're right. You're right. It could it could still turn. I'm trying to be Uncle Uncle Blank over here. going, now. Now hang on. <laughs> well, let me let me let me, cl- let me just close by saying so far the system has worked. Right. Right. And uh, in
0: this regard, a little bit because, like I said, you you ain't um, lying. I mean, when I when I think about and like I said, I'll, I'll maybe I'll save a bit more of this for the Triloquy, but. I'm rooting for him. I'm, mm. I'm 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 rooting for Kamala Harris. I'm rooting for Joe Biden. Um, folks are excited and happy. and. Let's uh, you know, at least about half of the country, anyway. So, so, so let's let's see what we can do. Uh, I, I looked up uh, uh, an article that uh, laid out uh, the music that Joe and Kamala played at their you know party at the Delaware event. And number one is one by Mary J. Blige. Work that by Mary J. Blige. So, mm-hmm. how about we listen to a little of that as we uh, transition once again. Yeah.
2: Celebrating the things that everyone told me would never happen, but God has put his hands on me. And ain't a man the lie could ever take it from me. Working with what I got, I gotta keep on. Keep on. Taking care of myself, I wanna live on. Ain't never a shame of life did to me. Wasn't afraid to change cause it was good for me.
0: Alright, ending our um first movement here, Scott with a flat. So um in in the shadow of everyone celebrating the uh, election results. Uh, the nation mourns Alex Trebek. Um, I think I've, I read that on Sunday. Uh, Sunday mm-hmm. morning, I got up and and, and saw that. Yeah. Um, what 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 can I say? Jeopardy is sort of a part of everyone's lives in a way. I mean, even cross-generationally, he was 80 years old when he passed away, um, had been doing Jeopardy! for 33 years, I think I read. Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but I mean, I've, I'm sure you watched Jeopardy! Uh, with the tummy, tummy ache at home, just like I did from school, you know?
1: Sometimes, but to me, that was the boring game show.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really? know, I
1: wanted The Price is Right, or um, what was the one, No Whammies? no
0: whammy, no whammy. Oh, I don't
1: know. I don't remember what that is. Press your luck. Press your luck.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's a little bit before my time. That's interesting that you say that because in the uh, coverage, coverages of Alex Trebek that I've been seeing, they talk about how he made learning cool or not, and and not in the kitschy way, but you know, it was kind of acceptable to like know things. It was, (laughs) you know, impressive to, to know things, to be able to play along and, and, uh, and get the right clues, you know, but you, but you say you, you thought that was the boring show.
1: Well, just at first, you know, the, once I got into the age where, yeah, I started to appreciate puzzles and things like that. No, when I was a little kid, I wanted to see the flashing lights and who got the hot tub.
0: I see, I see. But as an adult, as a, a earlier adult, I'm sure there was a stage in which you felt good about playing along with Jeopardy at home, right? And, and you something. could act, you know, when you
1: get one right, and you act a little smug right along. You know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I, I that one. I knew. that's a thousand for me.
0: Well, uh, of course, on Jeopardy, they covered a little bit of everything when it came to the uh, bits of trivia that they explored, including um, what y'all call classical music. So, uh, Scott, I think you actually uh, picked some out and I purposefully didn't ask you about them because I actually want to try and uh, play this. So how about you uh, give me a few and I'll see what I can do.
1: Just FYI, real quick. You can find all of the questions online on JeopardyQuestions dot com. So play at home. Yeah. Um, here's one. A sudden loud chord in an otherwise slow movement gives the nickname to Haydn's symphony number ninety-four in G major. Oh, what is the surprise symphony? Ding, 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 ding. Correct. All right, you'll get this one. The 1913 premiere of this Stravinsky piece caused such a riot that the dancers could not hear the orchestra.
0: Oh, sure. What is the Rite of Spring? Could you imagine? I, w- I would love to have been there.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would love to be Shut up. I can't hear the French horns. You know, <laughs> trying to trying to quiet everybody down. Okay, give me one more, then I'll, I'll throw a few at you.
1: Okay. This rousing piece by Aram Kachaturian has a weapon in its name. From his ballet, Guyana.
0: Yo, uh, what is the saber dance? Very good. Wow, look at me acting like I'm knowing something in in, in this. All right. So uh, one of the things that I thought was really incredible and really important about the show Jeopardy was that you began to see a little bit of uh, so-called diversity in the in the questions, and they even hip of hipped off flipped into slipped into hip hop for a little while. So Scott, I thought I would ask you. A oh, this will be these. fun. Hip hop ones to see if you can and 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 I think you'll you'll get a few here. So, um, this this first uh, I'll give you a couple. The category is not a successful rap musician. So I'm gonna name um, a few, and you have to tell me which one is not a rapper. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, Nipsey Hussle, Twista, Boogaloo B. Uh,
1: Boogaloo B. Uh, But you didn't say it in the form of a question. Okay, who is Bugaloo B?
0: Yes, very good. Okay, here's another one. Lil Scrappy, Notorious B.I.G., MC Medium. Who is MC Medium? (laughs) Oh, look at you doing. Okay, here, let me try to find. um, Okay, here's one more in that category. Uh, Exhibit,
1: Extraminator, DMX. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> let it be known from this day on, I will be Extraminator. Oh, uh, uh, so now you're claiming that one. Now you're claiming <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, who is extre- Extraminator? Is that what you said?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's how you're pronouncing that. But some of these um, are 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 a little uh, not so obvious. I'm I'm scrolling here, and this comes from Double XL Magazine. I'll post the article um, here. Let me uh, let me uh, ask you this one. Uh, this rapper, born Calvin Broadus teamed with the dream on gangsta love so who's so who is calvin bratis do you know i don't snoop dog it's snoop dog huh. never knew his real name huh
1: no what i thought he he looks like a snoop i mean he you know he, he was born like snoop. a
0: calvin oh yeah he looks like snoop yeah yeah Here's a here. Let me let me try to give you just one more. A studio used by acts like Outkast and Future, The Dungeon, in this southern city, started in a suburban basement. So you know, um, what what's 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 the city of this you know hole in the hole in the wall studio where these big acts came out of? What is Atlanta? Yep, there you go. Yeah, you know the hip hop of Atlanta. So very good. Um, so again, we're we're having fun here, and I think it's important to because. He always kept it fun. And there's even, you know, I came across YouTube videos of Alex Trebek throwing a little shade and being a little sassy. So Yeah, he did that, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I read an article, you know, speaking of all this hip hop and, you know, equitable um, trivia initiatives. Uh, they There's this article that asks, what would be his favorite rapper what would have been Alex Trebek's favorite rapper based on questions and the amount of time that uh this artist was repeated on the show do you have any idea who that could be
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me to make something up uh, <laughs> I don't there is a real uh, yeah, yeah and there's to this. A,
0: there's an answer there's at least according to one website
1: I don't know go ahead
0: so it's it's Drake, you know, my favorite male rapper. Hey! <laughs> so how about we listen to uh, a little bit of Drake as we transition into our second
1: movement. Jump man, jump man, them boys up to something. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, I think I need some Robitussin.
2: Way too many questions, you must think I trust you.
0: You searching for answers, I do not know nothing, woo! I see him tweaking, ain't no something's coming, Woo! So, Scott, I've been working really hard on uh, Gateway's radio uh, for the past several days. So I've actually been more um, into my orchestral bag. So uh, my picks uh, for this week are uh, orchestral. So um, I'm going to share a little bit of of that sort of stuff. And I'll, I'll get things kicked off with a piece of music by Florence Price. So, in the process of uh, putting Gateways Radio together, and again information on that GatewaysMusicFestival.org, in the, in the process of putting that together, I was learning stuff about Florence Price that I had never known. So um, I had no idea that Florence Price uh, was an organ player, had had a, a degree in organ.
1: I was surprised to find out that if, violin ended up being like her main instrument, though, right?
0: See, I I thought it was piano. See, we're we're all over the place.
1: But she does have a really nice violin concerto,
0: right? Of course, yeah, a, a couple so, actually, more than more than one.
1: Um, I I did while doing research for that, I did find out that she started off with the organ, and maybe that's where I got the got it in my head that she switched because I was researching the the violin concerto. But go ahead. Yeah, one of
0: the uh, organists that I featured on Gateways Radio, or, or the organist, I should say, is Nathaniel Gums. Shout out to him, Nat. And uh, and he, he presented some of the organ music by Florence Price. But um, along the way, you know, reading about uh, Florence and her organ playing, you know, I read about how she was a theater organist for a while. And her husband had left her and she was struggling financially. So the composer Margaret Bonds took her in and introduced her to Langston Hughes and things start turning around, you know, and this is all mm. around the time that her first uh, symphony premiered, and I, I've, I know that symphony pretty well, but um, I'm, I'm not actually going to share uh, any of the Oregon music here. Uh, maybe we can get some organ music another time, but uh, a recording uh, that I came across um, was the Gateways Music Festival playing her third symphony. Now, this is one, the, the second symphony is lost, uh, unfortunately, at least for now, but the third symphony, Um, It starts sort of dark and I think that uh, is a great testament to um, what she was feeling and going through or or at least it's like a picture in that part of her, her life. But then, of course, um, it's not all pain and anguish and, you know, pimping out the pain, as I like to say, you know, that third movement, it gets into, uh, you know, that Juba dance spirit and um, it has a B section, actually. So you have the main uh, spirit of it and it has a B section that, you know, is really sexy and and, and sultry um, in a way that I didn't really remember ever hearing out of Florence Price. And then of course you get that ending of the third movement. You have this big loud build-up and um, it very like it's almost like Florence Price is winking to the audience with the last little, you know, quiet notes putting a button on it all. I didn't really want to uh, do a deep, deep, deep dive on our uh, third symphony, but uh, I I encourage you to go back to it. The the excerpts we use here uh, don't come from the Gateways uh, Music Festival. I'll have that on the Triloquy Tracks playlist on Spotify that I need to update, by the way. Sorry. But um, yeah, spend spend some time. Go back and listen to Florence Price's third symphony. If you don't have the attention span to sit down for the whole thing, go straight to the third movement. There's a lot of uh, really colorful uh, things in in there and while her name you know Scott is becoming more and more familiar everybody knows the name Florence Price at this point anyone who's paying attention to anything you know mm-hmm. there, there, there's still a depth of her legacy that has yet to um, be explored on a on a large scale. So yeah, don't 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 take for granted that um, she had a really incredible catalog. That first symphony is historic in many ways, but it's not her only symphony, and not only the only form um, she wrote for. So in addition to that third symphony, go check out some of her organ music as well. What what you what you got?
1: You asked me how I felt upon getting the news, and you know people are out in the street and all that. Um, It kind of felt to me like a parting of clouds. You know, it wasn't an immediate like party mood. It was like sort of a slow fade, maybe. And I kind of started thinking about Jennifer Higdon, Blue Cathedral. It it opens up with sort of like um, an opening your eyes Hmm. and a parting of clouds. And there's a lot of blue on that map now. So... There you go. And the
0: title, Blue Cathedral.
1: Blue Cathedral. To go back to an artist that I shouted out last opus, Gil Scott Heron, because it was a much different mood in 2016. At that point in the week, um, protests and le- had and started.
0: Let me, and let me just say, as an aside, I was a little worried about uh, titling the last opus's opus "Whitey on the Moon." Uh, you know, in light of that Gil Scott Heron tune, I did anyway, but it fits so perfectly with that still of the band Rammstein <laughs> on the moon. You know, <laughs> playing pinball. <laughs> so I was so I wasn't to trying to offend nobody. Gil Scott Heron said, "Whitey on the moon, don't come for me." But 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 you have another one of his tracks you want to bring up this week?
1: Yeah, because in twenty sixteen. Uh, two, three days after the election, they were shutting down the interstate in many cities with protests. You know, um, things were looking and feeling really bleak, like we were just starting the nosedive mm-hmm. for a lot for many people. Um, and I sat there thinking, you know, as I as I watched the video on my phone, thinking the revolution won't be televised, but it will be streamed to the palm of your hand. Yeah. And so I went back and listened to Gil Scott Heron, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised.
2: You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on skag and skip out for beer during commercials because The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. You know, the and
0: my way. understanding and my perspective on that tune is a little different now just based on a few days ago. So I don't know if you were watching the news, but there was a protest on one of the freeways here and they ended up. You know, holding all the people right there on the freeway so that they could they arrest them. all of them. So what I saw on the news the next day was completely different than what I, from what I was seeing on the live streams from people who were there. You know, uh, shout out to Nakima, she's always out at all of these protests here. Um, what uh, Unicorn Riot was showing us was completely different than what they reported on the news the next day. And when I think about that, Gil Scott Heron, the revolution will not be televised i <laughs> the the stru- the power structures the institutions are not going to give us the story and they're not going to help us I feel I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist type of person but just seeing that with my own eyes you know on the news they said that these people were disrupting traffic for hours what happened according to everything I saw live in the moment from people's live streams is that they were protesting they caused a uh, social disruption on the freeway as they were trying to exit the police was trapped that had trapped them, they there them so that so that all of them could go to jail and there were even kids in the crowd who went to a juvenile court you know when all of those people could have just gone home you know the traffic was held up for hours and x y and z right and it wasn't the protesters fault so i i think um that Gil scott heron is a very important one to to go back to and really internalize because i think it's true the revolution will not be televised thank goodness we have cell phones and all that
1: And we also have to remember that the next night, there was a demonstration at the governor's residence. Over there on Summit Avenue in Matt Groveland, rough neighborhood. People with (laughs) long guns, you know, just walking around with guns out.
0: will be live. So Scott, I have one more little piece of music that I want to talk about um, to introduce people to today's guest. So as I mentioned, his name is David Keynes Burnett, um, violinist out of New York City, um, has been around, you know, um, and, and and been a leader in his own way in the black classical uh, music scenes. Um, you know, he, he's just that guy, you know, he's, he's who you have to say hey to and you know, who keeps so many records in more ways than one. I mentioned that Early on. So one of the big ways that he keeps records is he is sort of the photographer for all of these things. It started out that, uh, you know, David was using his iPad. You always saw him somewhere with an iPad in the air taking photos. He upgraded, you know, (laughs) to the fancy camera and, um, you know, all of these moments that. Uh, we forget about as we're going through the conferences, going through the performances, you know, he's capturing those moments and it's really, it's, it's it's really phenomenal, but he doesn't only keep record in that way. He's known for his LP collection, his record collection. So um, Scott, if I were to tell you that he had 500 classical albums, do you think, would you consider that a lot? 500? Not really. Okay, what about um, 5,000? Would you consider that a lot? Yeah, that's a pretty good amount of records. What about 50,000? Is that a lot?
1: That is a collector. (laughs) That is an avid collector.
0: So David Cain's Burnett told me that his record collection right now is at about 61,000. And uh, I think it's something that... Is so unique. I mean, who else do you know with not only sixty one thousand records, but sixty one thousand records that feature, you know, um, by and large, you know, uh, black musicians and uh, women musicians mm. and, and all this music. So, you know, a, a true artifact. You know, a record, uh, like I said, a record keeper in in more ways than one. Uh, so, to get us into uh, my conversation uh, with David, and again, you know, this is sort of like just I want with the Gateways Festival going on just I want to give people an insight on some of the very special people who uh, make those convenings so special. So to introduce um, everyone and for us to transition here, I wanted to shout out Mike Ross. So a couple weeks ago, um, a listener, Mike Ross, um, reached out to me and told me that he wanted to send me an album. He wanted to uh, send me a record and um, I got it in the mail. Let me grab it here. So it's a record, and I'm going to read from the front here. Helena Freyar plays David Baker's sonata for piano and string quintet. Now, Scott, I don't know if you um, have had uh, any David Baker music um, on your playlists at your job or anything, but he's one of the many black composers whose uh, music is just kind of out there, and his name isn't William Grant Still. His name isn't Florence Price, but, you know, uh, he's one of these really important um, uh, composers, and I really wanted to thank Mike Ross for sending me this record i can't record the record playing on here to (laughs) to share with y'all quite at that well but we don't have our technology game up to to that bit but um here's here's a little bit of the digital version um, of this music by david baker thank you uh mike ross and uh thank you um david Keynes burnett for um coming on the show here's uh here's my conversation with him
2: I guess when, when I started the violin, uh, I, I just literally got bit by the bug, so to speak, as they say, and I just loved anything violin-oriented. So uh, when I used to go to take my violin lessons at Third Street Music School Settlement, which is at 235 East 11th Street in Manhattan, uh, there was a record store a couple of blocks away called Footlight Records, and I used to go in there all the time and start to collect records, and after a while... Uh, sometimes I'd, I'd take up a whole bunch of them and look at all these violinists, but I didn't have enough money to buy them. And the guy at the register would say, oh, nobody else is buying them. Just take them all. And he'd just give them to me
0: Oh, wow!
2: after a while. And wow. so my collection started then. The very first record I ever bought was uh, Bach D Minor Partita, uh with Gino Fatescati playing. And then oh, after goodness. that, the collection just started going by the time I, I went away and got into Oberlin Conservatory and went away to school there, I probably had about 500 records at that point. And I had started collecting uh, in high school for three years.
0: Oh, my goodness. That, that's kind of what I was just about to ask you when you went off oh. to school and did that sort of thing. What happened to the records? Did they move with you? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, since
2: uh, I had too many records, 500 records was a lot. Uh, I couldn't take them on the plane. So I told my family that um, I would mind taking Amtrak. So I took Amtrak and we brought the cr- crates with the records on and I just kept bringing them on and the people, of course, on the train were like, where are you going with all this? I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to school.
0: <laughs> you go to school. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> so I took a wall with me and then once uh, the train got to Cleveland, I took a cab from there. Uh, actually, I think actually one of my friends, I remember, had a car and he Helped and uh, helped me take it back to the dorms at Oberlin.
0: Oh my goodness! Now you're, yeah. you you are uh, born and bred uh, New York City, right? Yes, I was born in Harlem in Harlem Hospital, uh, but
2: my family is from the West Indies. Oh Is my God. accent coming out?
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You're getting excited, I guess. <laughs> I wonder, you know, I, I've talked to folks in uh, who came up uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, sure. you know, playing classical music and all that sort of thing, how they were just surrounded by black folks and that was just normal. Uh, mm-hmm. was, was that the case for you? What, what was coming up in classical music in New York City like?
2: Well, at Music and Art High School, it was mixed. But when I went to Oberlin, it was not as mixed. Mm hmm there wasn't a lot of us there. I could count on a couple of hands the amount of us that were there. Troy mm-hmm. Stewart was there.
0: Shout out to Jeff- him, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Boga was there. Greg Lipscomb, black violist, mm-hmm. was there. And there were a few black pianists that were there. But as far as instrumentalists, there were, just like I said, a handful of us. Um, And in New York in general, I guess in... Youth Symphony, there was maybe two or three of us at most. I think it was just two. And All City, there was a lot more of us because a lot of us from um, Music and Art High School, which is where I went to school, high school that is, uh, auditioned for All City. But then after All City, Youth Symphony is sort of the next step up. And a lot of them didn't decide that they wanted to go that far because I guess they had other aspirations you know, in terms of what they were going to go into and college and ultimately where they would go.
0: You know, when we talk about convenings like gateways, it's it's just that you know that sort of family reunion. Oh, it's so good to see everyone. And when you name folks like Troy, like um, like Jeff Boga, you know th- these are these are folks that we all know. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, was was it like that uh, back in the day when you were when you were at Oberlin, and maybe even when you were um, you know just out of school? Was was it that co- was that community there? Has that always been a thing? That community was
2: there um, every time. We'd get together in certain instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, once gateways was going, and we'd see each other. Of course, it, it was that camaraderie, or uh, or other festivals that had that same sort of uh, gathering. Yeah. yeah, a family gathering, I'll call it that.
0: how do you? How did you know? With no internet. Um mm-hmm. at some of these early ones, not at least not how it is now, how would you right. how would a person even know about a gateways a black musician <laughs> you know how how would they even get onto to it?
2: It was always word of mouth mm. that's that's the way we did it back in the day since uh we didn't have the internet or social media or anything of that sort
0: yeah yeah so
2: you 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 heard about it. actually that's even how I found out about Oberlin uh when I was at um when I was at music and art, high school. And it was time to start thinking about when I was a junior and it was time to start thinking about college or colleges. Uh, I just knew I would prefer to go away to school because I'd be able to delve into my practicing even more versus being in New York because there was just too many distractions. And uh, I heard somebody saying, oh, this is a school called Oberlin. It's really good. And I was like, "Mm, "Okay, I I really want to try out there. And uh, that's how that came about.
0: Mm, yeah, that's something that word of mouth. I mean, um, how do how do you see the uh, uh, with social media and the internet and all that? You know, do you see that as a good thing when it comes to the the maintenance of that uh black classical community that uh, that, that that we all love? Has, has it been a, a good thing? Has it helped it grow from your perspective? It has
2: actually now. Uh, because of social media, uh, it, it sort of brought the world literally within our living room or Mm -hmm. wherever you keep your computer, your laptop or your iPad or your cell phone, whichever means you use to get on there. And uh, otherwise, I don't think a lot of us would know about each other. And uh, it's just been a great resource uh, between Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all of those things, different, I guess, uh, mediums that we all use. We've been discovering about each other and uh, which is what um keeps me propelled when i uh I don't know if you noticed my birthday post every day, yeah, <laughs> I love that <laughs> Dude, <laughs> because yeah. literally every day somebody's seeing somebody most likely that they've never seen or heard of before,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: so it's just it's just keeping us all together like that,
0: like yeah. Glue. Oh yeah, that really yeah, I do appreciate your birthday posts every day. Uh just checking <laughs> in to see, you know, whose birthday it is and all that. Um talking about social media, you know, you have me thinking about um You know, the folks that I was put on to for the first time, (laughs) thanks to social media. I talk about Imani Wins all the time. I I will never forget going to their MySpace and I'm like, oh my gosh, Mm. who are these people and they're all black, you know. Uh, But another one is um, uh, Jesse, you know, our good friend Jesse, Jesse Montgomery. I remember Mm -hmm. the first time that I came on to her music uh, on the internet and was just blown away and and all that sort of thing. Um, Working on Gateways Radio, I put uh, one of her pieces on from a past Gateways. It's called Records. From a vanishing city, and mm. it actually uh, made me uh, think of you and everybody else in New York for a minute, because um, as we were talking about uh, earlier, uh, people are saying that with COVID, uh, people are moving away, and you know, uh, jobs are getting lost and all that sort of thing. Uh, do, do you see a vanishing city? Is, is is New York kind of bleeding right now?
2: COVID has taken a huge, huge toll on on us. And uh, a lot of people have left, but I think there are still a lot of people here as well.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And um, it's definitely changed the way things are happening now in that uh, a lot of musicians are now um, putting content on social media and keeping it going that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, This past summer, I uh, was supposed to go to Boston to work with Miss Mariana Greenhill and her Four Strings Academy. And uh, we didn't get to do that because of COVID. But luckily, because of uh, the internet and so forth, I was able to give lessons and all, as well as the other teachers, we were all able to keep it going by giving lessons online, or remotely, as they call it now.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
2: uh, so that's that's keeping us going. Hopefully, once this pandemic is over, we'll be able to get back to some normalcy because... uh, I do prefer and miss being able to be in the presence of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. This is the longest period of time that I have not played with my quartet. Yeah. I mean, since this thing has happened, all the performances that we were supposed to have have all been, you know, canceled. Uh, We're supposed to play with a group at Carnegie Hall uh, called Link Up Orchestra. And we're supposed to do five concerts at Carnegie Hall. All of those got, you know, not postponed, literally canceled. Wow. So uh a lot of Broadway shows they were all closed down, and so a lot of the means in which musicians have been making their living have evaporated at the moment but um I'm hopeful that it will change in the new year with this new administration
0: that this time of not being in person somehow mm-hmm. you know has pushed the um, so-called DEI conversation sort of into the, you know, on, onto the main stage. How has that um, conversation of diversity and, and Blackness in this field um, evolved from your perspective? Is it, uh, has it always been this strong, you know, back in your Oberlin days? Was it something that y'all thought about, talked about?
2: Mm. <laughs> um, well, it wasn't something that was talked about as much as it is now. We, um, the, the minorities or of us at Oberlin when we were there, we realized that there was something missing. And, you know, there was sort of a camaraderie, you know, um, that always occurred. Like when we all would be in the cafeteria for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, mm-hmm. there was that feeling of camaraderie because, like magnets, we usually kind of, attracted to each other and we're at the same table and everybody else joined us which is fine but there was a lot of us together at a table and then everything would merge in as you know it went on and i really really enjoyed that now that we're all uh locked down per se Mm -hmm. there is now room for more reflection about that because now especially with what all had been going on with sandra bland george floyd and all of these um countless uh issues of brutality Mm -hmm. it's and and we're bringing it up and everybody's locked down you you, in essence no one has a choice but to do this and hear it and see it whereas when we weren't on lockdown everybody was like this so as soon as they heard about it they can go the other direction or whatever but because the media both news and social media mm-hmm. uh, were putting it out there. We had no choice but to be totally focused on it. And in a way it, it was good because now it's being addressed more than I think it's ever been before. And I'm noticing change left and right. Organizations are finally speaking out about it. And even if they're not speaking out about it, they're being called out about it. Yeah. And as a result, it's now being pushed and has to be addressed. So it, it, as terrible as this pandemic has been, that has been the one flip side positive.
0: Yeah. And when we talk about what these uh, organizations and institutions are putting forward, you know, that's one thing, but they're also the the grassroots, you know, the, the freelancers. I wonder um, if this has had an impact on your work uh, these days. Oh, on my work? Yes. I mean, I know you've <laughs> always been down, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but even, but even so, you know, even in a, uh-huh. even in these past six or eight months. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been
2: keeping busy, I guess, um, with my students uh, remotely teaching them. Um, I don't have as many students as I had prior to this whole thing, this pandemic happening uh, prior to the pandemic. I would have anywhere between 30 to 40 students. And then I was teaching in four different schools. Mm-hmm. Uh the schools were all group teaching, uh, and at Harlem School of the Arts, which is my primary school that I teach at, uh, the students were all uh private students there. So now uh I guess with the pandemic, it it's it's definitely affected that for a couple of reasons students um are learning remotely for the most part most Mm -hmm. of my students with school so some of them didn't want to continue their lessons as well because they felt that they were sitting in front of the computers and their laptops and so forth uh too much as it was and they needed i guess uh, a break as their parents said so a lot of them decided to very away from it for the moment and said that they'll come back in uh, the new year or whenever this pandemic is behind us. So um, hopefully it, seems, it will be. It mm-hmm. seems
0: it seems like uh, this might have an adverse effect on um, you know classical music, whatever, generationally. Uh, because mm-hmm. you know, what if when you picked up the violin for the first time, you know, it was during this COVID virtual era? You know, your 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 mm. path might not have. Been the same. I mean, same. From, from from what you're seeing, you know, having to teach this way. I mean, is that something that you would uh, agree with? That you know, generationally, this could have an effect on who is is, is getting out there to the conservatories and the orchestras.
2: I agree. Um, it is um, those that are luckily to have been lucky enough to start before it happened will have a better foundation versus those that are starting over this means.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I, I just had a student even this morning that literally for the, for the first time ever had his first lesson today. And um, mom and I met uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, so she could drop off the violin so I could tune it up, put the little tapes on the violin so that he know where to put the fingers and so forth. And when I went out to give it to her, I said, well, I've got to give you a quick crash course before I just give it to you. And she said, why? We're gonna do it online. I said, Yes, but there is a lot that goes into it and just doing it on here and me showing you over this and yeah and trying to tell you where you have and me trying to put my body all around so you can see what I'm doing. It's totally <laughs> different than when you're doing it in person. I could show you and help mold it. So right there on the sidewalk. I took out her her son's violin and I put it on her shoulder and I showed her, okay, your arm is to be directly under the violin. Your wrist needs to be straight. The fingers need to be curved when you hold the bow. And just went through the whole thing. She said, oh my God, I didn't know I was going to learn the violin. I said, yeah, you got (laughs) to (laughs) help. So she had a quick course there. And then uh, this morning, so when when, uh, I then started and told him what to do, she was sitting right there and it was great because of what I was showing her. She was able to then implement it right away versus... Someone who is not have any personal interaction at all to just do it on here, you it really it takes a lot, and and there's gonna be I think a little bit lost in that translation so to speak when you're just doing it because it's not like when you're sitting at um, in class and it's a math class and you can sit there and someone tells you it's this it's that this times that five times five Mm -hmm. is this and you sit there and you 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 absorb it that way. Music is something that needs to physically be shown as well, as and not just told. So it, it definitely is going to make an impact, I think.
0: But people will, you know, parents all will understand the importance of that math class or whatever. You know, how do you convince the parents of this, you know, especially considering that they have to learn how to hold the thing, too? It seems right. like it's more than just a parent paying for the lessons. They're paying for the lessons, but they also have to halfway know how to teach it themselves. You know, how how do you convince a parent that it's worth it to to, to do all that and to be involved in that way?
2: Uh, Well, it is a process, <laughs> and I definitely had have had to impress upon them the, the differences. And I think when when lessons were private, uh, like at Harlem School and wherever else other musicians teach, the the parents for the most part drop their kids off and they leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we as teachers are kind of immersing that child or student into what it takes to get from a to b to c so now that it's remote some parents have tried to just put the child there and leave Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work because the child is not as advanced enough to be able to just attentively hear something and instantly you know implement it so the parent and i've impressed upon them it's very important that they're there because when i tell a child okay you need to move your elbow in a little bit this way and Uh, it has to be directly under the violin and your pinky needs to be on the bow. When they get too much information, they're not able to process all of it. Whereas an adult can take all that information in and process it right away. So they have to then translate it for the child and help bring it all together. And the importance upon uh, all of this can be seen in over the 33 years I've been teaching, I've noticed that it makes a huge difference in a child's life. Um, I've had students that have had ADD and all these other different, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. things that they want to diagnose a child as having ADHD and all the other terms that they've come up with. And I find that those children that have taken violin or piano or whatever uh, means of expression of the arts that they are taking, it makes a huge difference in that it brings in their total focus and they, they come out more well-rounded. Uh, I, I remember I had a child who, um, when his mom came to Harlem school, she says she had gone to several other schools and none of the other institutions wanted to take him because he had an attention deficit. Mm-hmm. And so he, he'd lose it after, you know, a few minutes or whatever. And when she came and she was telling us this and she was crying, I said, well, I'll take him. I, I, I don't know if anybody else would. And they said, sure. And that young man is doing so well right now. And I'm so proud of him. Um, he ex- he, he's, he just loves music. He ended up taking violin with me. And then he ended up taking piano with a, uh, another teacher and drums with another teacher. Oh wow! Because as time was going on, His love for music was just blossoming, blossoming, and he just wanted to do more. And initially, mom was like, oh, no, it's only one. You should only do one. And I told her, no, 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 you really should let him do all of these other things if you can uh, afford it, because every child needs to find what resonates with them. And finally, he found the thing that resonated the most with him, and it was drums. Mm -hmm. And he still plays the violin, but the drums is what, grab uh, um his attention and love for it and he would get on those drums she said he'd be practicing all hours of the night and it paid off because he got into berkeley and he's playing with some great groups and everything he's doing really well and you would never know that there was anything ever initially diagnosed and i'm really proud of him he come back every now and then he visits me which is great
0: One of the other things that I think that people would appreciate if I um, asked you about was your photography. So at all of these uh, festivals and convenings, you know, I remember Mm -hmm. iPad, David. I remember you taking pictures (laughs) with iPad. Then one year, you know, you upgraded to the camera, and you know, you take so many beautiful photos. Talk to me a little <laughs> bit about um, uh, that development. When did you decide that you just needed to be the the photo record keeper for for the black <laughs> classical musicians?
2: Um, I don't know what it is. I, I've always loved
0: photography,
2: and um, I I remember when I was uh, younger, before having an iPad and before all of that existed, Mm -hmm. I used to buy those disposable cameras.
0: Oh, of course, of course. (laughs) And
2: it's funny, I had even come across one that was sitting in my closet and I took it to get it developed and was shocked to see some of the photos that were in there. So I've always loved, loved, loved photography. So when I got my first iPad and I was like, oh, wow, I could just take pictures at will (laughs) now. I don't have to go out and buy film or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I guess as soon as I started uh uh with gateways and with uh Sphinx and I had my iPad, I wanted to get as much because we as a people, I think unfortunately don't document enough
1: mm.
2: you know in, in case in point when nine eleven unfortunately happened, it was mostly the minorities whose pictures you did not see when they were showing pictures of the various individuals that had died when 9-11 took place.
0: Mm.
2: And and they would just put these figurines or uh, uh, uh what do they call those silhouettes of a man mm. or a woman and say that so-and-so passed, so-and-so passed. And I just I just love having all of those documents. I can go back on Facebook now and look at my albums from 10, 15, 20 years ago and say, oh wow, I remember so and so and so and so. And whereas if those pictures had never gotten taken after a while the mind kind of forgets some of that and yeah. we forget you know get who was there and and what what all happened yeah. so i really enjoyed taking pictures as much as possible so uh it was always the ipad but then one year <laughs> i thought about um and i presented the idea to sphinx about being a photographer and uh they they said you know yes we would love for you to do that i thought just before I went and uh, said to myself, well, I think I need to upgrade a little bit so that I can even get you know, higher quality mm-hmm. resolution and so forth. And so I went into B&H and uh, started looking into cameras. I had no idea, of course, that it was gonna be <laughs> such a costly endeavor, but it was well, well, well worth it. Cause then I can get all these shots and then uh, take them and then upload them. And then we, we all then have documents.
0: One of these uh, one of these festivals, we're going to have to have a, a David slideshow, you know, just pick some of your <laughs> favorites from. I mean, you, you have plenty of material, you know. Do, this is true. Do, do you ever go back and uh, just look at certain years or do, do you find yourself wanting to just reminisce and relive certain times and revisiting with the photos?
2: Oh, I'll, definitely. I, I, I'll tell you what's even funnier is that sometimes, and it was here, I was just reminiscing a few days ago. I literally have piles of my pictures wow. from when I had my cam, disposable cameras and so forth. And I would just go back and pull them up. Like if you can notice this one is when uh, my quartet, we were, uh, had done a tour. Yeah. I see Kelly and-, and
0: Troy and Amati. Mm-hmm.
2: And we had actually, it was my quartet plus one. Actually it was a quintet. We did the the, the main work on that program was uh Schubert truck went Quint- up, oh, Schubert cello quintet.
1: Wow. so I was just
2: reminiscing it, it's great because like otherwise like I said you after a while you forget about these moments and and, and it's great to have because especially when these individuals or other that I've taken photos off of have then passed on like this one for instance is a great picture and that's uh Harold Jones flutist mm-hmm. and went to Juilliard wonderful musician and a lot of people don't know who he is so I have this document and when people look at it and see it and They ask, well, who is so-and-so? I can tell them who is so-and-so Linda uh, Blanche, who is a very, very good French pornist. And uh, there's Marshall Seeley, French porn, and me. and and It's just great to be able to have these uh, photos and look back at them.
0: When you go back and look at some of those <laughs> old photos that you know yes. that you know from the disposable cameras and mm-hmm. you look at um you know some of the newer ones or you look at who's at gateways and and and, and things now do you see mm-hmm. movement in the right direction I mean is is the youngest of us the younger generation making those folks proud that uh that that, that you were playing with so long ago and even those who have passed on
2: Oh yes they are they really are. And, and not only are they making us proud for what they're accomplishing, but I'm even prouder to see that there's so many coming up too. You know, back when I started out, like I said, there was just a handful of us. Uh, um, there was more than a handful in high school, but then when it was time to go on to college, a lot of them decided that they wanted to go into something else. So mm-hmm. then by the time I went on to college or conservatory, I saw a few of us, a few more of us. So once Sphinx and Gateways and all of these organizations started forming, and then to see the influx and see, and, and, and even social media to see that there's more, it, it's just amazing. And it's bringing us all closer together. Because it made me wonder in the back of my mind, I wonder if there was this many when I was younger, but it's just because they yeah. were all so spread out that we didn't know about each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'm, and I'm so grateful because, you know, I'm, I'm, I met you through, through that, you know, it's just, it's, it's the convening. Um, mm-hmm. How how can folks um, uh, learn more about you? Maybe if they want to study with you, learn about the West village quartet, how can they do all that?
2: Uh, well, my biggest social media is Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they can all definitely look, uh, David Keynes Burnett on up on Facebook and find me that way and message me that way. I, I do have a, a, what do you call it? Instagram account, but I'm not on there as much. I don't know what it is. And maybe the older generation, we just love Facebook more.
0: It seems but... like that'd be your thing. Instagram with all those photos you have.
2: <laughs> this is true, but, um, I don't know. You know what it is? I think Facebook allows you not only to put the pictures, but gives you more uh, room for detail because oh, I can I write and put more in there. Whereas when I go on Instagram, I feel, yeah, that there's more pictures there, but it's 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 just like the, I hate to put it this way, but it's like the fast food type
0: sure. social media <laughs> site
2: where or, or you're just looking and scrolling for pictures. Whereas when I get on Facebook, if I go on somebody's page and I see that picture, I can read and see you know more into that picture and then people commonly write more comments there and I find out more I find okay i'm not knocking instagram i'm not
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's fine it's fine it's fine well you know my last question for you so um okay we're we're getting up on the um you know holiday season here um you know last uh holidays uh i got a record player and i've been trying to you know keep up with you know buying records and 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 i probably have about 30 in there nothing like your collection (laughs) but um you know, now that we're getting back and it's getting cold, folks are spending more time indoors. Um, mm-hmm. What would you suggest as a record to even just go on the Internet and find and, and order? What 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 record would be great uh, for, for me or anyone else to go take the time and buy and listen to, especially on the format of, of records of LP?
2: You can definitely. My, a lot of Michael Rabin's records are available now, so you can definitely get those. There's just something about his playing that is just so moving that, that, that really grabs me and I gravitate towards it. So he would definitely be one. Uh, Jeanette Neveu is another violinist. She's a wonderful um, player who resonates with me quite a bit. Uh, there's a violinist named Edward Grotch, who also resonates quite a bit, and Leonid Kogan, Natalie Hinderas black pianist wonderful wonderful musician who i love listening to leon bates uh andre watts
0: well i wrote all those down and i'm gonna gonna check all of them out i'm gonna have six new records in my in my (laughs) collection (laughs) wonderful David, david thank you so much for spending the time thank you You know, Scott, uh, one of the things uh, that David and I talked about after uh, we turned off the mics is how proud he is of all of the little musicians he saw, you know, running around five and six years old, holding their first Suzuki book and, and who they've developed to be. And one of the people um, that he brought up was Jesse Montgomery. He talked about how he remembers seeing Lil' Jesse, you know, running around with her first book and her little violin. And look at her now. She's blown up and is one of the many really important um, women, uh, black women in, in classical music. So, yeah, yeah we, we, like I was saying before, we need those record keepers. And as much as people in my generation, um, especially in classical music, like to think we're the first that, you know, have really shaken things up and are trying to make change. When we go back and see what, you know, the some of the OGs uh, ha- have done, you know, that's equally important, if not more. And I'm so grateful to David and all of the other um You know, uh, I I, I use my my language very carefully talking about my black elder, Scott, but (laughs) (laughs) just, just, just so thankful to everybody who came before, you know, because who but before anyone was even. Um, pretending to consider these conferences, uh, you know, a lot of the institutions are pretending to be interested now, but even before people were pretending, you know, how much more difficult was it back then? So yeah, yeah. shout out to David and all of the all of the OGs. All right, well, let's uh, get into our triloquy. Who are you rooting for tonight? I'm rooting for um, everybody black. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Betting on black tonight. So before we Really start this fourth movement. Um, you know, thanks again for tuning in, Scott. The energy is a little different when we're not in the same room. We've been in our little covet bubble together for all these years. I don't know if folks can tell or not. We're all these years, you mean all these months? All these months. Well, it seems like it doesn't. <laughs> it does. See how that just rolled off my tongue like that. All <laughs> <Yeah>. these years, <laughs> uh, no. So, uh, we're recording virtually tonight because Scott. Um, Radar has a little bit of a tummy ache. How, how about you share the true and real of what you're going through over there?
1: Yeah, I'm looking for positive vibes, thoughts, prayers, whatever it is that you do. Garrett, I'm going to count on you to do some chants. Um, Radar has a tumor on his liver, and he was in today to uh, get an ultrasound, and they biopsied it, and we'll know more pretty soon. Hopefully it is benign. But in either case, there's a procedure in his future and man, he is just so doped up. <laughs> he's Lucky. been yeah, he's been <laughs> it's funny to, you know, to watch him try to go to the bathroom and he lost his balance. It was a little bit kind of comical. Yeah. But Uh-oh. yeah, so good thoughts from my buddy here. Um he's he's got some stuff to deal with.
0: Uh, I I get notes from several listeners who who ask about you how 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 you doing. Sometimes sometimes I feel like your voice just kind of gives out that feeling of my this dad's is a rough time.
1: My dad says he can tell by listening, you know, he'll go he'll go over and tune in on the radio to find out what my mood is. He can tell. Okay. But yeah, um but 2020, man. I mean, yeah. what else? What else can yeah. you do to me?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll 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 keep this short. Um, as I uh, alluded to earlier, said earlier, in light of waiting on the election results I tweeted, I feel like I'm waiting to get punched in the face or punched in the stomach. So when I saw that, you know, it had been called and, and they said it was Biden, Harris. You know, there was this feeling of relief, like, okay, fine, this whole uh the the Robert California seasons of America are over. You know, <laughs> you remember that for the office.
1: <laughs>
0: That's what it feels like. Shout out to anyone and everyone who gets that reference. <laughs> but um, you know, the fact is, Joe Biden, you know, let's let's even put the crime bill aside that he's acknowledged was a, a mistake. In even in the debates, you know, he's talking about the protesters who aren't doing it peacefully and with that he stands against that and what does it mean to really define how protest can happen you know is that not the same sort of demanding uh, you know overarching dare i use the word fascist way of thinking just you know there's only way one way to protest when um, i think about kamala harris you know as historic and important as this moment is um, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, there is a lot of work that needs to be done there as well. You know, with Kamala being a, a prosecutor in a uh, in, in a former life, um, I had a lot of feelings. And what I came to at the end, um, I really centered what I feel like has, you know, become my mantra in my life and my career. Um, thanks to Issa Rae, I'm rooting for everybody black. So, My true and real, my triloquy for this week is that I have not forgotten what Kamala Harris has done, what she has been a part of, same with Joe Biden, but I'm rooting for. I believe that there is something. In this moment, I feel like even if Kamala and Joe aren't the ones that get rid of student loan debt and really um, liberate housing, you know, make that a human right and not something dependent on your employment in the way that it is now. You know, they may not be the radicals that we ordered. They not may not be the burning and AOC that we ordered, but there's power in this moment. And um, I just wanted to publicly and uh, here on my platform name that I'm rooting for um, while also acknowledging that I am that critique, um, I put on Facebook. We still need to storm the White House. You know, I think there's so much change that needs to happen. So I'm not trying to diminish anything. Um, I'm I'm rooting for Kamala. I'm I'm rooting for the administration. I'm also keeping my eye on things and understanding the the real level of change that uh, that I think we all deserve. It, do you think that's fair, Scott? Do you understand what I'm so, saying there?
1: I do. I do. You know, actually, when I, when I had a conversation with my dad about that very thing about Kamala, because he thought that that was going to be a slam dunk to get votes from people of color. And I said, I, I don't know of one person of color that's excited about this ticket.
0: And it's not that, you know, we're trying to be anti-black or anti-Kamala, but it's the, the bigger picture. But as I was saying earlier in this opus, in the moment, seeing all of the memes and, you know, the pictures of, you know, all the black parents put pictures of their little black girls watching her on TV on this, you know, so it's a moment and it's a significant moment. Um, the The crack in the glass ceiling, you know, has to be cracked somehow. And for it to be cracked by a black woman first... Hey, I'm I'm for that. So hashtag I'm I'm rooting for everybody black. What do you want to see um, in the first hundred days? What was what would be on your wish list?
1: Good question. I know that there's a whole bunch of executive orders that are lined up that are just going to undo some policies. Yeah. Um, I would love to see something done with student loan debt, not for myself, but I hear stories. And I also have nieces and nephews that are being crushed by it. And, and podcast co-hosts. Yep. yep. <laughs> media content creators that yes. are, that are uh, <laughs> suffering out from
0: here, it. Out here trying. You know, in the first 100 days, one of the things I want to see is uh, this second stimulus we were supposed to get.
1: Got to do that. We need to do something about DACA. Healthcare, man. Get something down. Something. Because yeah, I bet um, not
0: break my arm right now.
1: And um, I would say let's follow the lead of those five states and, and legalize it. High.
0: Or maybe even follow the lead of Oregon. We were talking about our crack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Baby steps. Um,
0: yeah yes baby steps indeed um but but before before we hit the gong uh just one little side note um i'm doing a lot of work with a lot of organizations and institutions you know that stimulus that we all got earlier this year i got my stimulus through cash app you know there was a way for that to happen they they made a, an account number for all the cash for all the cash app clients so if i can get paid from the irs through cash app Uh, Some of these universities and, and, and other arts organizations consider Cash App equitable ways to pay us on time. See you next week.